Have you ever watched a TV show or a movie that moves really quickly, action-packed, maybe it's one of your favorites, and you get to the end, and right when you think that they're going to tie up all the loose ends, the words, to be continued, appear on the screen. You've got to wait a whole week to figure out what happens to Jack Bauer in 24. I mean, you've got, you know, the whole week you're sitting there thinking, who shot Jr.? You know, I mean, that's the whole, the whole, for those of you that are a little more experienced, you know, you, you're thinking the whole week, now what happens? What's going on? Or maybe you know that they've, they've made a sequel to your movie that you like, and you just wish, oh my goodness, I've got another two years until the next one comes out and figure out what happens at the end. That to be continued is an interesting ploy that, that uh, movie makers and television producers, of course, will use. It's also one that writers will use. Uh, what we're going to be studying over the next few weeks is the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, the first couple of chapters. And, and he uses this in his Gospel, this sort of to be continued idea. If you've got a Bible, I want you to turn with it to Mark chapter 16. We're going to the end for the beginning. All right. So uh, Mark chapter 16. And I, I want you to look, to look at verse 8. Now, this, this will not make sense until I help you kind of connect the dots. So just, if you're confused, don't worry about it. So is everybody else. Right? Okay. And some of you know everything, so you're already good. <clears throat> but anyway, here we go. Mark chapter 16, verse 8. So they went out and started running from the tomb. Now, this is after the resurrection. These are the women. Because trembling and astonishment overwhelmed them. And they said nothing to anyone since they were afraid. Now, most of the people who study this for a living will tell you that's the end of what Mark wrote. That's the end of the Gospel of Mark. What follows afterward was added sometime later as sort of a, well, that's a kind of a, an ending that needs a little bit of closure, and so that other part was added a little bit later. Mark ends his writing with, So they went out and started running from the tomb because trembling and astonishment overwhelmed them, and they said nothing to anyone since they were afraid. That's the end of what he wrote about Jesus. Sort of a to-be-continued kind of idea. It's almost as if this is simply the beginning of the story, and we'll see it play out in the lives of believers and in the life of the church. Mark ends his story on a kind of an odd note. You're almost waiting for, now. okay, now what happens next? Jesus is alive, and they're scared? That's how he ends his story? But I think we get a little bit of a clue from the very first verse that Mark wrote. Look at Mark chapter 1. Flip back to the left. Mark chapter 1, verse 1. If he ends abruptly, sort of saying this isn't the real end of the story, why would he do that? Well, I believe that a hint, at least, is found in the very first verse when he says this, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, some can debate whether he's talking about what he'll write immediately afterward or if he's talking about the entire story, but in essence, what Mark gives us is simply the beginning. The rest is to be continued in the lives of believers as individuals and in the life of the church, as we'll see, played out through history. Mark tells us what he's writing is only the beginning. It's only the beginning. There is more to come. Now, Mark was a close associate of many of the apostles, especially most believe the apostle Peter. And many believe that he is writing from Peter's perspective. 
he's using information that Peter would give him, the Apostle Peter, who was, of course, one of the inner circle of Jesus Christ, had very close access to him. And so Mark relies on Peter's perspective, most believe, for his gospel. It is a very fast-moving story. I spoke with someone this last week who's currently reading through the Gospel of Mark, and there's one word that comes over and over and over again if you've ever read the Gospel of Mark, and it's the word immediately. Things happen quickly. Mark wastes little time telling you the story. He doesn't give you all the backdrop. He doesn't give you all the details. In fact, when he introduces John the Baptist and when he introduces Jesus very quickly, he doesn't tell you anything about where they came from except that they came from God. That's essentially what he tells you. Jesus in particular doesn't give you his historical background. He doesn't catch you up to speed on who his parents were and how, the, you know, how he was born and so on. He just gets straight to the point. So if you like a straight-to-the-point story about Jesus Christ, Mark is your gospel. But I'll tell you this, it is to be continued. There is more to the story that will be played out throughout history. It's during the time that Mark writes when Christians were beginning to be persecuted and suffering a great deal under an emperor in Rome who accused them of some things that they did not do and took out his anger and wrath on the Christians. Many of the eyewitnesses to the life of Jesus are being killed. And so it's during this time when it's necessary to write down the events. Let's preserve it in writing. Here's what happened. Mark is going to write to these Christians who are being persecuted. He's going to give them a very fast-moving account of what happened in the life of Jesus, and he'll try to encourage them by showing them the parallels between what Jesus experienced and what they're now going through. So if you put yourself in those shoes, you can see how his gospel would be very encouraging. He focuses great detail on what, we, what is known as the passion of Jesus Christ, the week of his death and his resurrection. Mark is going to use that to encourage people who are going through very difficult and trying times. But all he does is give them the beginning of the story. But what a great story that it is. Uh, our approach to this particular series will be a to-be-continued kind of idea as well. Just so you know, we won't get through the entire book of Mark over the next several weeks. It will be continued at some point. We'll pick this up and we'll get little pieces of the story over the next several months. We'll come back to this. So this will be a running story that you can look forward to uh, and we'll complete it over a period of time. The first part that we'll look at this morning in, involves what launched and guided the ministry, the life, and eventually the death, of course, of Jesus Christ. Uh, I saw this week, and maybe you were able to watch it or you saw in the news, uh, maybe highlights, the retiring of the, uh, the space shuttle Discovery. I don't know if you saw that, uh, you know, they put it on a 747 and they take off and they fly it to where it's going to go. Now, I, I had the privilege of, of watching that on television. And at first, I thought, this thing's never going to get off the ground. I mean, you've got this huge beast of a space shuttle riding on top uh, of a 747. And Hank said, how in the world do they do that? And I said, well, I, I'm not sure. People a lot smarter than me figure that stuff out. But that thing, there it goes down the runway. And I almost hear it kind of creaking, and it takes off. And, and then they, they flew it to Washington, D.C. It's going to be a part of the Smithsonian. Space Shuttle Discovery, of course, flew several dozen missions to, uh, to outer space and docking with different space stations and uh, fulfilling its role and so on, and, and they did a flyover, I don't know if you saw it, over the mall, the mall in Washington, D.C., over all the monuments, people out everywhere. It was really incredible, and, and uh, you know, if you, if you like that sort of thing, you know, it was just one of those moments to remember. And, uh, of course, they've retired all the space shuttle program now, and, and uh, it's had its ups and downs, of course, but 
But every mission that was flown on those space shuttles had a flight plan. Here's what's going to happen. Here are all the things that have to come together for us to have a successful mission. Before every shuttle or every mission that's ever been launched, they had to get the all systems go signal from every department. It's only then when they had all systems go and they check everything off the list that they could be confident at least that they were going to have a successful mission. The first several verses of the Gospel of Mark give us what we could look at as the launch pad and the guidance systems for the ministry of Jesus Christ. Let's read it together. Look with me in Mark chapter 1. We'll read verse 1 and get down to verse 13 this morning. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make his path straight. John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were flocking to him, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. John wore a camel hair garment with a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. He was preaching, Someone more powerful than I will come after me. I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie the strap of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized in the Jordan by John. As soon as he came up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending to him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. I take delight in you. Immediately, the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels began to serve him. Here we get the launch pad, the guidance systems for the mission of Jesus Christ, why he came. Here's the foundation in a nutshell. What is it that we can learn about this mission of Jesus Christ as we walk through this particular passage of Scripture? You'll notice on the back of your bulletin, if you're a note taker, there's only one thing you'll write down, and it's not yet. It's not yet. So I hope that what you'll do is make some other notes. Maybe outline a little bit in your Bible if you're comfortable writing on your pages there or on the back of your bulletin. Write down some of the things that we see that are incorporated. Here are all the systems that are go for launch in the mission of Jesus Christ. The first thing you'll see, the very first verse, is it's all about the gospel message. The gospel highlights this new beginning. God is not done with the people. In fact, God never was done with them. Here is a new beginning in the mission and the person of Jesus Christ. It is the gospel of Jesus, Mark says, which excludes all other supposed gospel messages. Our world is full of seemingly good news. We're in an election year in our country, and as every time we've gone through an election, we see hope from both sides who proclaim to you their message. Here's what will rescue our country. You need to elect me because I will do this, this, and this. And, and throughout history, we've had these supposed gospel good news messages from every politician on both sides of the aisle. In our world, if you trace history, there have been folks who have risen up and said, I have the answer. If you just do what I tell you to do, then all will be right with the world. We have all these sorts of things have propped themselves up in politics or social programs or in health and wealth and whatever you might hear on television that claim to be the true gospel. 
But though I'm thankful that I live in America and praise God for that great privilege, I stand with authority to tell you that based upon God's word, there is no gospel other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is nothing that can save your soul or truly rescue you or give you what you need that is found in politics or social programs or in your health or in your wealth. There is nothing found there that will give you what you need. It is only in Jesus Christ. It excludes all other gospels. Mark says the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. God come down to us. Mark says that Jesus, the mission for him was all about the gospel. He is the only, the only basis for our relationship with God. You can be as good as you want to be or can be. You can get gold stars for perfect attendance here in church if we were to hand those out. And by the way, we don't. Just so you know. You may never have missed a day of Sunday school in your life, except maybe when you were in the hospital that time and you had it piped in somehow through the radio so that you could claim that you were there. Now, I make joke of that, and I think those things are highly valuable. But Jesus Christ himself is our only basis for our relationship with God. The only basis. You can come to church, you can go to Sunday school, you can be good, you can do lots of great things, you can give all your money away to great causes. But without Jesus Christ, the Bible says that unfortunately for you, you will not spend eternity with Jesus in heaven because you tried to get to God through all the wrong paths. Unfortunately, he will say to many on that day, the Bible says, I never knew you. They'll say, Lord, didn't we do this? Didn't we participate in these things? And he'll say, no, 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 I didn't know you. Depart from me. Oh, what tough news. But praise God, we know the basis for our relationship with him, and we have access to Jesus Christ because he has come down to us. The mission of Jesus is all about the gospel, this new beginning, this exclusion of all other things to the truth of Jesus Christ, and he provides our only legitimate basis for a relationship with God. If you keep going, Mark chapter 1, verse 2, Mark's going to quote some verses from the Old Testament. So we know that the mission of Jesus Christ is based upon the word of God, which was now in his time being fulfilled. Interestingly enough, what he does here is he weaves together three different passages from the Old Testament. He quotes them as if they're one, but what he's done is he's taken them and put them together. One from the law, one from the major prophets, one from the minor prophets. So Mark is, by the whole of Old Testament Scripture, saying this is now all being fulfilled. You can count on God's Word, he says. It wasn't something he just told people to pacify them or to make them happy. This is true, and the whole Old Testament testifies to the truth of Jesus Christ. And it's now being fulfilled, Mark says. What a great truth and a great promise that the Word of God can be trusted. If the Word of God could not be trusted... I would find something else to do for a living. Because everything I would be telling you would be pure speculation at best and a lie at worst. If the Word of God could not be trusted, you'd have no reason to be here this morning. But praise God that all of Scripture testifies and is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The Word of God can be trusted. If you're confused this morning on what to base your life upon, I can tell you the one thing that you can count on to never fail you, to never let you down, to always be true, to always give guidance, 
to always set you back up when you fall, to always show you when you've gone wrong, but help you get back to the path God wants you to be on, and that is the Word of God. And that alone. You can come and talk to me, and I'll give you great advice. But if I don't base it on the Word of God, all you've gotten is great advice. You haven't gotten absolute truth. You can base your life on the Word of God. Mark says it's true. It's been fulfilled. You keep going and you look in what John is doing, John the Baptist here in verse 4. John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of what? Repentance. Certainly the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ requires repentance. There must be a turning from our sin, a turning to God in order to receive our salvation. We cannot simply acknowledge, yes, I think that's true or that sounds good to me. Absolutely, no problem. I have no problem with Christianity, some may say. In fact, I might consider myself a Christian. After all, I've grown up in America and I used to go to church back when I was younger. The Bible says, however, and John preached it, that in order to receive forgiveness of sin, there must be repentance, a turning. Not just an acknowledgement of something you might think could be true, but a commitment to it through repentance. The mission of Jesus Christ requires that. It also includes an undeserved forgiveness. And John here, John the Baptist, is preaching to folks who are just like you and me, sinners, who even at one sin deserve eternal punishment from God. Yet because of God's grace, we've been offered undeserved forgiveness. He says it's baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The word forgiveness just means putting them away, setting them away. The Bible says that uh, God has set our sin as far as the east is from the west. He remembers it no more, no longer held against us. The message of Jesus Christ, his mission also includes a symbolic identification, a symbolic washing. John here is baptizing people to symbolize the internal change with an external, with an external act. Baptism, of course, the way that we believe the scripture reads, does not save you. You cannot jump into the water even if it were filled behind me and expect something magical to happen just because you've jumped into the water. It is an external sign of what's taking place on the inside of you. It is a picture that I've died to my old life and now I've been raised again. It is a picture, but it's an important picture. and Maybe one this morning that if you've never been baptized, maybe this morning you'd consider, should I be obedient to Jesus Christ in that area? I would say absolutely be obedient to Jesus Christ to follow your salvation with baptism. The mission of Jesus Christ was also anything but mainstream. John here is in the wilderness. You look at John the Baptist, he kind of seems a little quirky, kind of a little odd. Here's this guy, it says, that he's in the wilderness. He wore camel hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. If you think that's strange, it's because it is. It's a little different. We look at it in today's world, we would have someone like that um, watched for a time, if you understand what I mean. Now, during this time, it's, it's uh, not uncommon necessarily that someone would live like this, but John is making a point. He is out of the mainstream, living in the wilderness, and he's making a point against the riches and the wealth that's offered in Jerusalem. And he says, if you truly want to follow God, you must deny yourself. 
Does that mean that if you have a lot of things, you need to get rid of it all? That's not what John is saying, but he's saying this is not a mainstream thing. You cannot live in the same sort of mindset and the same approach to life that you do on an everyday basis, just caught up with the flow of society and expect to understand what God wants for your life. It's impossible. It's not mainstream. John here in the wilderness, and if you know anything about uh, ancient Jewish history, you know the wilderness was very significant to them. The wilderness symbolized their rebellion, their sin against God, their unbelief, their unwillingness to go into the promised land, and they wandered around for 40 years. The wilderness was a place of confusion and death and rebellion for them. But John is making it clear that it's from that same wilderness that salvation will come. That even in the midst of their rebellion, even in the midst of their unbelief, salvation is offered. And he calls the people to the wilderness, this face-to-face moment with their rebellion, to receive the forgiveness of sin. It's interesting that he would not claim that they should pretend as if their old life never happened. but They should come face-to-face with it to repent of all those things. They're in the wilderness symbolizing all that they had done wrong. And it's there where the break with tradition would happen. It's there where the, the break with their routines would happen. And it's there where, where they would meet God face to face. It's interesting that it says here in verse 5, the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were flocking to him. And we read that, and you may not quite understand the significance of that. But these are Jewish people who are coming to be baptized. Jewish people during the time considered that only the Gentiles, the non-Jews, should be baptized. Why? Because they were the ones who were defiled. They were the ones who were unclean. And only someone who was defiled or unclean would need baptism as a symbol of their belief in God. John says, no one gets a buy. No one gets a pass. Everyone must come through faith. He tells them that even you who think you are clean must repent. This would have been very offensive to the Jews. For one of their own to tell them, by the way, you're unclean. Well, who are you to tell me that? You ever heard that? (laughs) They figured it was judgmental. But they understood their own rebellion and their own sin and their own need to turn to God as well. That's what John was preaching. No one gets a bye. Even the Jews needed to be baptized Even those here today who figure that because of your family or your American birthright or the fact that you're here this morning, well, I must get a pass. I must be okay with God. The path is still repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, and no other path will get you to God. We see also that the mission of Jesus would be based upon submission. John, when he's popularized, says, I'm not the guy. (laughs) You're missing the point. In fact, he would say, I'm not even worthy to be a slave that would untie the sandals of the man who's coming. Submission. It's interesting that John would be the one who is proclaimed to be the one who paves the way for Jesus, and yet even he says, you don't get it. I can't pave his way. I'm not even worthy to be his slave. Jesus would also submit. He submitted to the Father here in baptism. Some would wonder, well, why did Jesus need to submit to a baptism of repentance? Well, as much as I could read this week, 
came across a lot of different theories on that, what folks might think. Certainly Jesus was sinless. He didn't need to have his sins washed away. There's nothing in Mark that insinuates that whatsoever. Perhaps Jesus was simply identifying with what would be the end of his mission, that he would die identifying with sinners and be raised again. Maybe it's simply Jesus beginning his ministry and saying, Yes, Lord, I submit to whatever you'd have me to do. And he's led there to John to be baptized as a symbol of his submission and obedience to the Father. Jesus would submit to the Father here in baptism and all the way to the cross. Jesus over and over submitting to the Father. We see the heavens being torn open as he comes up out of the water. Jesus here, as the heavens are ripped open, is identified as the final and the ultimate revelation of God. Something that's open can be closed. Something that's torn doesn't go back together. Jesus here is proclaimed to be the ultimate revelation. Everything will be different because of him. He is anointed by the Spirit as the Spirit descends like a dove. We don't know if it was a dove, but it was a dove-like descending. He's anointed by the Spirit for his ministry that he will do, and he is blessed and he is affirmed by the Father. You are my beloved Son. I take delight in you. What's interesting is that you would think at this point, right after his baptism, this, this spiritual moment would, would last forever. Mark tells us very clearly that immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. In fact, he puts it sort of in a present tense in the actual rendering in the, in the ancient language. It says immediately the Spirit drives him into the wilderness. Almost like it's one event to the next. This moment of great spiritual triumph for Jesus where he's anointed by the Holy Spirit, blessed by the Father, is followed immediately by being driven into the desert to be tempted by Satan. So we know that the mission of Jesus would be opposed at every turn by his adversary, by Satan. But we also learn, praise God, in Mark, that he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and the angels began to serve him. He was sustained by God, kept safe, and nurtured, even in the wilderness, this lonely and dangerous place. Why was it that Jesus needed all of this as his launch pad, as his guidance systems for the mission that God had sent him for? What he would face in the Gospel of Mark, at least, gives us some indication. He's going to face extreme opposition from the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of his day, who plain didn't like him. <laughs> they didn't like him. In fact, they hated him so much they wanted him killed. He faced great opposition. He would face potential distraction from his mission. All of his disciples at one point or another wanted him to establish an earthly kingdom. But that's not why he came. Jesus would need all of this in his tool bag, so to speak, to, to avoid the potential distraction. He would face questions like, why is he hanging out with those people? The exact question, why is he eating and drinking with sinners and tax collectors? response Jesus gave would be pretty interesting. We'll get to that in a few weeks. Jesus would be a leader. He would be a teacher. He would have to select his apostles, those who would be close with him. He faced enormous pressure from the crowds. Think of what Jesus went through. The drain of ministry was constant for him. You don't see Jesus being encouraged too often. Read the Gospels. Most of the time people come to him, they want something. Constantly dealing with people who are in need. Very rarely, if ever, do you see Jesus being ministered to. And even in moments where you think there's going to be a little bit of encouragement, 
Peter himself will say, you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And the next moment, Jesus has to call him out and say, Satan, get behind me because you don't understand what this is all about. He received very little encouragement. He knew he was sent to die. What if you knew that from this point forward, at a certain time, that had already been designated for you by God the Father himself, and you've got this time and this time, and you know, you know what, this leads to my death, and not a pretty one. We all know we're going to die, but I believe that Jesus, knowing he was going to die the way he was going to die, probably dealt with it, in human terms at least. A little different than our acknowledgement of, yes, I know I'm going to die. He experienced great disappointment, extreme anger with those who even claimed to follow him, those who claimed to follow God, who replaced their worship of God with rituals, with self-righteousness, with hypocrisy. He was betrayed by a close friend. An even closer friend would deny that he even knew Jesus. And he experienced an unimaginable torture and the most painful death that could be imagined during that time. Jesus needed something he could go back to, something he could count on as the foundation of his ministry and his mission. He needed to be launched and he needed to be guided by the gospel message. His mission, as we see throughout the gospels, was flawless. From a human standpoint, we may say, well, if it was so flawless, why did he die? But from a theological and God-oriented standpoint, we understand that's exactly why he came. So his mission was flawless. Through his ministry, through his life, through his death, his resurrection, he serves as our Savior from our sins, our provider of eternal life. But not only is he our Savior, but he's also our trailblazer. He's the one that we must follow. So we must establish and build our lives on the same things that launched and sustained Jesus. So here's the timeless principle to write down and to make sure that you get You've been waiting for it now for a few minutes. I see you on the edge of your seat. I see you. Mm-hmm. You're, you're leaning forward. You've been holding your breath now for quite a while. So you can exhale because here it comes. All systems are go when your life is launched and guided by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Think of it in mission terms. All systems are go when your life is launched and and guided by the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'll tell you this, you are due for a major, major malfunction and an unsuccessful mission through life if you are launched and guided by anything else. You say the gospel of Jesus Christ, well, that's just for the Bible, isn't it? No, it's for everyday living. It's for salvation, and it's for what the Bible calls sanctification which is our being made more like Christ. I want you to imagine for just a second your life being launched and guided by the gospel of Jesus Christ and all that that involves. Imagine for just a second knowing absolute truth, not being blown around by everything you hear, not being confused by all the things that are thrown into your mind, having fewer doubts about why you're here and what life is all about. Imagine having more clarity of purpose in your own life. Imagine standing on something that you can believe in and count on, standing on the Word of God, thinking biblically about every aspect of your life and being able to make wise, God-honoring decisions that certainly there's no guarantee that the outcome will be perfect, 
but you can stand with confidence and say, I based my decision upon a worldview that came from the Bible. Imagine knowing that you've been forgiven, which may be what we all need to think a little more about this morning. We've been forgiven. Our repentance has been accepted because of the blood of Jesus Christ. That you're no longer under the power and the penalty of sin. We walk around so guilty. We walk around so shameful. So afraid of what God might do to us because of what we've done to Him. And it's because of Jesus Christ and His grace, if you've received it through faith, all that's canceled. You're no longer under the judgment of God if you are truly a believer in Jesus Christ. Nothing more to fear. Only a relationship to develop and to deepen with your Heavenly Father. Imagine having extreme confidence in leaving behind the pattern of, of our current society. With all of its pursuits, all of its obsessions. Imagine living for what truly matters. Being able to say, you know what, I, I've looked at it all. And I've identified these things as most important based upon Scripture. And I am comfortable now leaving the mainstream and going to pursue these things. What really, really matters. Imagine the peace that comes through humility and submission to God the Father. Knowing that your life is not any longer about you, but He's got it. And He's in control. The peace that would come through resting in Him with the pressure being off of you to achieve and to perform because God has already achieved and performed everything for you. Imagine receiving daily filling and anointing of the Holy Spirit for everything that you'll face during that day, all you'll encounter, being guided and empowered by God Himself living in and through you. Imagine receiving blessing and validation by God Himself. No more wondering who you are. No more wondering if you have a purpose or why you're here. No more wondering if you're loved and accepted, but knowing based upon the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross, that yes, you are loved. And yes, you are accepted. Imagine having God's strength and His endurance for hardship, for any threat you face, for any temptation you encounter. The angels ministered to Jesus in His time of temptation. Imagine having God Himself sustain you. Imagine not being destroyed by those things anymore. Think for a second what it would be like to be prepared to be successful in God's eyes in every role that you play. If you were to list all the roles that you currently play, you'd probably fill up your paper. Imagine, just for a second, being prepared to be a spouse. Being prepared to be a parent, regardless of how old your children are. Being prepared to be a grandparent. Being prepared for your role at work tomorrow or whatever role you may play in your home, and your family, anywhere around you. And not only being prepared, but being successful in God's eyes, regardless of what this world may think of you. In every unknown that you'll face, imagine having what it takes to be able to endure, to be able to not only survive, but to be victorious in all of those things. Imagine for some what it would be like to have no fear of what will happen when you die. We come to church and put on our nice faces, and some of us literally are here because we're scared to death of what's going to happen when we die, and we figure, I better get myself in church because maybe that'll help. Imagine 
what it would be like to come to church because you just want to worship the Lord. To come to church because you just want to feed on the Word of God, not because you're scared to death of what God's going to do to you anymore. Imagine being free from all that and being confident that when you die, you, when you're absent from the body, you would be present with the Lord. Think about it. The gospel of Jesus Christ offers every bit of what you've just imagined. And only the gospel of Jesus Christ offers those things. It's received by faith in Him, that He is the Son of God, that His death on the cross paid for your sins, that that alone is the payment for your sin, that His resurrection actually happened, and that you turning your life over to Him entirely. It's also lived out by faith. Not only is it launched by faith, but it's lived out by faith, guided by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some of us this morning have had our lives launched by the gospel of Jesus Christ. You say, yes, I am a believer in Jesus, but you have been living in disobedience to him, not guided by his gospel. There's a, a scene in one of my favorite movies. It's called Apollo 13, which is a space-type movie. And some of you remember uh, maybe watching on television the events that unfolded. For those of us who were not uh, privileged to be there during that time, I don't know how else to say I wasn't born yet, but um, I came along a little later. But I got to see the, the movie, which as, as best it can depicts at least what, what was going on in general. And I realize there are discrepancies, and certainly you have to embellish a few things, but there's one scene in particular that I really like, and it happens in the movie before all the explosion and everything takes place on the spacecraft. And it's right before they launch the, the, uh, the, uh, sp the uh, spaceship. And the flight director, played by, uh, by Ed Harris, he says, all right, he said, I need a go, no-go for launch. And it's this, this sort of semi-dramatic and sort of kind of funny, quirky, because you've got all these engineers and really smart people in the room, and, and, uh, and, and they've got their coffee and their cigarettes and all this stuff, and there they are. They're the ones that are going to launch this particular mission. And so the flight director says, I need a go, no-go for launch. And he starts going down the list. And he, and he calls out every department that's in the room. And they all have to say, go or no go. And if any one of them says no go, then they shut the whole thing down. Because they know they're due for a major malfunction and some, some really awful stuff. And so, so what they do is they, they have to say go, and they have to push a button that turns a light on it. It says, all right, this is confirmed. So he goes down the whole list, and he says, give me a go, no go for launch. And he rolls through it, and every one of them, go. Go, go, go. And only then can the dramatic moment happen when over the loudspeaker there to the crowd right in front of the rocket, can the guys say, we are go for launch. And listen, if you, if you want some goosebumps, just watch the, the launch scene in Apollo 13. They play this really dramatic music that I'm sure had to be played at the launch. I mean, it just only, it only makes sense. You know, wouldn't it be great if you had a soundtrack to your own life? I mean, it would be awesome. But, but they play this music, and, and, and here's all this great emotion, but it all begins with this check of go, no go. I wonder today if all systems are go in your life. All the things that we've just run down in these first 13 verses of Mark are all systems go. What, if not, what needs to happen in your life today? 
Maybe today is the day that you, for the very first time, would be launched by the gospel message, receiving God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. Maybe today is the day you need to surrender your life to Him. You say, how how do I do that? Do I have to stand up? Do I have to come and talk to everybody? What What do I have to do? It's as simple as as talking to the Lord and saying, God, you know who I am, and I know who I am, and I know that I've sinned, and I know that I need you, and your death is the only payment. And without you, I'm forever destined for hell and eternal punishment. So, Lord, I repent. I repent of my sin. And I I place my faith in Jesus Christ alone for my salvation, not myself or anything I can do. And I submit my life to you. And I don't know if you'll hear bells and whistles. I don't know if you'll get chills. I have no idea. But I know that God will not deny the prayer that receives grace through faith. Or maybe today is the day that you realize that, you know what, I've been launched by the gospel of Jesus, but that hasn't been my guidance system. And for you, maybe there's also a need of repentance and humility and submission, commitment to obedience, maybe to identify with Jesus through believer's baptism, maybe to ask the Holy Spirit to fill you and anoint you for what you'll face this week, or maybe you just need to hear the words of the Lord who says, I love you, I created you, and you're my child. Every one of us leaving here today will be launched and guided by something or someone. God as we see in the Gospel of Mark, calls us to be launched and to be guided only by Jesus Christ. I pray that you'll be obedient to him today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, would you call us to obedience, to repentance, to submission, to the launching and guiding of our lives based upon your truth, upon Jesus alone. May we respond today, Lord, in whatever way that we need to, through prayer, through baptism, whatever it may be. God, I pray that today we would walk away different than we came. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came that you lived, that you died, and you were raised again, and that you've offered us eternal life. May we respond to you through repentance and submission and obedience. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.